0: Hey, friends, and welcome back to the Equestrian Podcast. I'm your host, Bethany Lee, and this is episode 270. Our guest today is a young Canadian show jumper who decided to become a professional during COVID, and he had an extremely successful junior career. He was a top hunter rider, equitation rider, jumper top catch rider, he was it. Um, When he became a professional with some bad luck and terrible timing, really had to navigate how to become a professional while there was a pandemic and how he really came out on top through that kind of crummy timing. So without further ado, I would love to welcome our guest today, Sam Walker. Hi, Sam.
1: Hey, how's it going?
0: Going well. How are you?
1: Well, thanks. All good here.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. I know you're a busy guy, so I will get right to it. I would love to hear how you first found yourself in the horse world.
1: Well, I mean, I think it's, I'm a little bit similar to, to most really young kids in the horse world. Uh, my parents were trainers and they have been for the past 30 years. Recently, it's been a little bit odd because now I'm sort of becoming the trainer to some of these other kids, but I remember when I started when I was just a really little guy, uh, my parents were always at the shows and I was always hanging out around the show. So naturally, I was very attracted to riding and thought that it was a pretty cool thing. So um, I started riding before I could walk pretty much. <laughs> and uh, just sort of the rest is history, I guess.
0: I feel like with trainer kids, it goes like one of two ways. You're either like obsessed with it or you want nothing to do with it. So you clearly were uh, yeah. the other one.
1: No, oh, completely. I, I caught the bug and still have it. So,
0: Did you feel like early on that you obviously loved it, but wanted to make a career out of it?
1: Yeah, you know, I mean, I think I always knew when I was really young. I never really liked going to school. So yeah. <laughs> Barn was sort of the only other option. And uh, I think I kind of just knew what I was going to do every time, you know, when you're in school and you get the questions of what do you want to be when you grow up? You know, every single time. It was riding horses, you know, a horse rider. So I think that I was very lucky to have a passion from such a young age for the sport. And I just stuck to it and kept on, kept on doing the best I could.
0: Definitely. Looking back at your junior years, um, what are some moments that really stick out in your mind either, not necessarily as good things and bad things, but definitely like pivotal moments, and then maybe some learning moments that you kind of experience in your junior career?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, we're going to, I'll start with, you know, sort of the start of when maybe I was starting to get some recognition in the States. When I first started riding with Missy Clark and John Brennan at North Run, you know, that was sort of when I'm going to call it I came on the scene. Mm -hmm. Uh, Prior to that, I had actually already already jumped my first Grand Prix in Canada, 12 years old. But when I went to the States, you know, nobody really knew me. And um, having spent some time in my younger years in Ocala. And then when I got a little bit older, my parents started coming back to Wellington again. And uh, that's when I started riding with Missy and John. I remember sort of that a little bit for me was a turning point because then I knew that if I worked really hard and, and proved myself with the results that more opportunities would come to ride horses, you know, coming, being a trainer's kid, you you don't always get to choose what horses you ride. You just ride whatever is available to you and whatever you can ride. So I was very lucky to have the opportunity with Missy and John, you know, to start riding more and more horses and better horses too. I mean, at the end of the day, we're all looking for the next best superstar and, and Missy and John, you know, they always have a great string of, of, uh, of horses constantly for their, their working students. You know, and then as we, as we progressed, it, it wasn't long before I started winning equitation classes with them and then I was winning junior jumper classes with them. And I think having that jumper background of already jumping National Grand Prix before I went there at such a young age. You know, I had sort of the determination to get the job done when some of the other kids kids, maybe didn't. And then, you know, we kept on moving on, moving up, doing more, doing national Grand Prix with them, FEI classes on their horses, and then into the Equitation Finals. You know, I think obviously winning the McClay Final and the Washington and the George Morris and all of those, you know, really prestigious finals as a Canadian was pretty cool because – You know, I was the first Canadian to ever win the Washington and the fourth Canadian to win the McClay and the first Canadian to win the George Morris at the time, which is now the Wellington Equitation Championship. So for me, it was, I wouldn't say there were any turning points in my junior career as much as there were just one big, like it was obviously everybody has ups and downs, but I think if you were to look at it sort of on a chart, it was sort of a steady, upslope the whole entire way and as I aged out I actually stopped doing the equitation a year before my last junior year and then when I aged out I started my own business and with my parents in collaboration with sort of and I still talk to Missy and John I'm very close with Missy and but I do do my own thing and now I have a great group of owners and some top Grand Prix horses so it's been we're kind of on a roll and Everybody has their ups and downs, but I think right now we're sort of on the upswing.
0: Amazing. What was that transition like for you um, moving from junior to professional, um, kind of like navigating that, you know, the obviously additional responsibilities to having your own program?
1: Yeah, honestly, it was it was tough. It was really tough. My first uh, my first year as a professional, as soon as I aged out, was was difficult. You know, it was the very first year of COVID also. So I aged out and I was ready to go and everything got shut down. So I actually built up some really good momentum. I jumped my first five-star Nations Cup in Wellington that year. And I was doing quite well in FEI classes, building a small string of horses, only sort of three horses at the time. And uh, it was going really well. And then once COVID hit, I had a ton of bad luck. Well, that's what I'm going to chalk it up to. You know, there was I had some horses get really really sick. Uh some owners that, you know, had to drop out of the sport due to uh financial circumstances because of COVID hmm. shutting all the uh all the horse shows down. I ended up the the one of the two horse shows that I did get to, I ended up falling off and breaking my collarbone. Oh. So I was out for a few for a couple months there. And it was just, it constantly felt like I was getting beat down, beat down, beat down, beat down. And even I got back to WEF and did not really have a good season at all there. And I think, honestly, in the last year, this this past 12 months has been such a huge building for me. Uh, 2021, after WEF, I kind of got back on my feet. I was really, really lucky to get an opportunity to ride my horse currently, Maya. Uh, she was an addition to the string and she was, it was, is, and was going to be my best horse at the time and now. Uh, so as soon as I got that opportunity, sort of a year and a half after I aged out, I think I just was, I got to the point where I was like, I'm either going to make it right now or it's not going to happen. And I really, you know, I'm, I'm the type of person that when the going gets tough, like I seriously get going. So I put my head down. He didn't really hear or see much from me. And then I got onto the major league team in major league show jumping and I climbed 400 spots in the ranking <laughs> and now I'm in the top five, in the top five Canadians in the ranking and, you know, top 15 in under 25 globally now. So I really sort of got back to the riding that I wanted and the spot that I wanted to be at mentally. And I just kept grinding it out. And since You know, probably May of last year, you know, with the exception of a couple months in the winter, it's been going the best that it ever has for me. Yeah. Um, This has been my best season so far currently, and I can't wait to see what the fall has to offer. So even though I'm a young professional, first year aging out was really difficult for me. And then I just sort of got to a point where I had a lot of supporters that said, hey, you can do this. And I was like, yep, you're right. I can. So I just sort of put my nose to the grindstone and got back to it.
0: You mentioned something that I feel like makes a lot of sense and was probably a big factor in that in that moment in time for you is that like your mental game and maybe needed um, a little like half halt and refocus, because I'm sure especially there's a stigma with young professionals and feeling like you have to you know, have that success immediately. You have to know everything you have to just, you know, which is obviously just a standard that no one can reach. And so, um, especially with, like you were saying, bad luck, really bad timing, everything going on in the world. Um, were there moments where you were really kind of doubting, like, man, did I make the right choice in like becoming a professional right away? And then who were kind of the, the voices for you that helped you kind of transfer out of that, maybe mental mindset to kind of have the mindset that you're like, oh my gosh, like I can absolutely do this.
1: You know, I think just to go back a little bit on your point, like it was, there was never a question of if I was ready to be a professional or not, mm-hmm. because in my brain, like I had already, I was competing before I was, well I was still a junior. And even, like I said, I didn't do any of the equitation. My last junior year, I focused solely on the jumpers. I was already competing and ranked, you know, pretty high amongst all the other professionals. Yeah. And I was, I've been riding horses for owners my whole life. You know, I, I've never had the luxury of owning my own. So I knew there wasn't really an option for me when I aged out. Uh, there, There was no option of being an amateur. It was either, you know, professional. It was just what there was doubts about for sure in my brain was whether or not I made the right decision to either go work for somebody or to do it myself. Hmm. And I think that for the first little bit, I did regret, you know, my decision for a second. I thought, huh, maybe not regret, but I just questioned myself. And that was so more. So the, the question that was in my head is should I have gone and worked for another professional before starting my own thing? Hmm. And I think for a lot of people, the answer is always going to be yes. Like, do that. It's a great opportunity. But for me, I had already had my own owners and I would have had to walk away from that to go work for somebody else.
0: And not only that, it's like you've already been working under someone for, you know, so long, like with your parents and then, um, you know, essentially riding for people your entire life. So kind of, you were kind of already very familiar with that dynamic.
1: Oh, exactly. And I mean, riding for, it got to a point at Northrun where, you know, I was a junior, but I was doing all the catch riding for the Grand Prix horses of the barn and some of the young horses. And, you know, I was the one that would get the Grand Prix horse when Missy and John would get Grand Prix horses in to sell or for, for themselves, for their rider. So for me, I already kind of knew what that was like and I loved it. Don't get me wrong. And there's a lot of great opportunity in that. But I just thought, you know, let's 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 try and do this mostly on my own uh, with the help of some, some good owners. And, you know, now even looking back, I'm really glad that I just stuck to it and sort of got through that really tough year. And I'm sure there's going to be more tough times, but I think that I'm at a point right now where if I just keep working hard and keep really working hard at it, that, you know, more and more people will start to believe in me and, and believe in our program and our team and trust us with their horses and their clients and, and everything else. So even we have recently, I've started training with, uh, you know, German show jumping legend, Uli Kirchhoff. Mm-hmm. He's the only double gold medalist in our sport at 1996 in Atlanta. And ultimately my goal is to go to championships and Olympic games and everything else and get to as high on the ranking as I possibly can. So a guy like that, you know, just training me and my riding and helping our clients out it's it's unbelievable because instead of it being working under him, we sort of work together as a team um, which I find you know it's it's a lot more beneficial to both parties and and we do a lot better that way
0: yeah, definitely, besides competing, you are also you know producing and finding young horses to bring along. What would you say is your kind of like philosophy towards bringing the young horses along. And then um, is there anything specific that you look for?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, when we're bringing young horses along, like I said, I I don't like to buy them too, too young because I find that it's so expensive to produce young horses here.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, So you find a really nice six or seven year old. I think that's sort of the prime age because at that point you have to be willing to put at least a year in to see how, how good they're going to be, you know, a year or two. And uh, I find, okay, for me, as the sport continues, uh, continues to grow and continues to change, you see a lot of the, the, the newer style modern horses are they're super, super athletic and maybe even a little bit on the smaller side than normal. I mean, you can see that in, in a horse like King Edward. It's mm-hmm. unbelievably... Is, is in my opinion, probably the best horse in the world. You know, the, uh, just the pure athleticism out of that horse is, is incredible. And that, that's sort of the ideal modern show jumper.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: When you're looking for that in a young horse, it's so difficult because at the end of the day, if you have a six-year-old and you're jumping, you know, 125, 130, uh, you can't, you can only test a six-year-old horse so much. You don't, right. you don't want to, you know, overdo it, obviously, yeah. And same at seven. I mean, you can, you can really sort of start to see how they're going to truly turn out at seven years old. So I find that eight years old is sort of the sweet spot. You kind of know maybe what their athletic capabilities and limitations could be, uh, as well as you just, you just don't know how, how far they can really take it. I mean, you can have, you see this all the time. There's so many fantastic meter 50 horses and, then you go up two holes. It's, it's only two holes to yeah. 160 and a little bit wider. And the, that number drops probably less than a quarter hmm. of the 150 horses can truly jump a 160 class. So it's really, uh, it's really tough to, to, to know at six, seven, or even eight years old, whether or not you have the next best show jumper. I think that kind of, you just have to let them find out themselves. But I think a big thing for me is you, you can never... Don't ever let the horse know what it can't do. Right. Mm. You see a lot, you see this all the time, young horses jumping very big, very quickly. And within one or two seasons, they're out of the sport with an injury or they're limited to, you thought it was going to be the next best world-class jumper. And it ended up turning out to be just nice, you know, meter 45 horse, which there's no problem with that, but you got to think if you take your time, you know, what's what's truly the end result going to be
0: right um,
1: so I think just the biggest rule is taking your time not being afraid to you know put six months six months of pure flat work onto the horse put put six months of jumping meter 30 even though your horse is capable of jumping meter 50 like just mm-hmm. really focus on rideability more than anything because when you do finally move up to a bigger class a you want your horse to be comfortable and B, at the end of the day, if it's a young horse moving up, you would rather make, you know, a little bit of a statement and say, Hey, look how nice this horse is. than Oh, he's just young and making a bunch of mistakes. And Mm -hmm. that's just how it goes. So we all get carried away. We're all taking a really scopy horse and maybe moved up a little bit too quick and had things not go so well. I know I certainly have. Mm -hmm. And that's a lesson that I've learned in, in the last year or so. Yeah. I think just taking your time and focusing on really getting the horse rideable and most of all comfortable before you move up and jump too big too quick.
0: Right. Sometimes I feel like one of the most challenging parts of a training program is the management aspect of all the horses, all of their care, and just the organization of it all. So there is this app that a million riders use today called Equilab, and it really does capture everything you need for your horse to track data, as well as log any information you might refer to in order to keep your horse healthy and safe and organized. I'm talking tracking rides, gate distribution, being able to have your position set live so that other people can keep track of where you are on a trail ride. You can organize your riding, farrier, if you were lunging or jumping a certain day and keep track of the schedule. You can also share your journey with other people who use the app. It just offers so much organization it's super fun to use and really informative especially as you get more and more competitive and really every little detail counts that you're able to collect data to really make sure that your horse is in peak performance but really it is for every level and every discipline so if you want more information visit their website at equilab.horse that's equ I-L-A-B dot horse and get more information. And then I feel like the other dynamic you always have to juggle with that and age is obviously the older they get, the more experience they get, the more comfortable they are jumping at the higher height. Um, Obviously that price tag increases. So there's also that kind of dynamic of you know, risk versus price, which sometimes depending on the situation you're in, you have to go with one over the other. Um, With kind of that being said, what advice would you give to maybe someone, maybe a young professional, maybe someone wanting to become a professional who maybe doesn't have the access to you know, that like great horse right now, uh, maybe due to finances or other accessibility issues, but how could they still work towards that direction of, you know, putting themselves in the position where they could have, you know, great owners who they, they could get great horses with that they could move up to top levels with.
1: Yeah. I think, I think definitely you just have to be present. That's such a huge thing. You have to follow the circuit around no matter what. I mean, there's plenty of riders that, start riding or start working at a barn they end up flatting a few horses and within two years they have you know they're the number one rider at that barn and have Grand Prix horses Mm -hmm. you've seen this this model has proved itself in plenty different you know times so it's nothing's going to happen quick that's the that's the number one thing you hear I for me at least I hear all the time oh you know I have this owner and this owner is going to buy me horses and this owner's gonna buy me horses, and I'm gonna have a string of horses. Mm-hmm. And then it's you know we can come do this blah 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 blah. And okay, that's great. And maybe for one in you know one in a, a hundred people that's actually gonna happen. But at the end of the day, you and thousands of other kids and upcoming professionals, current professionals that already have string of horses, are all looking for you know a fantastic owner and sponsor. Somebody that does, you know, somebody that has the means, even though you don't. And at the end of the day, it's a very difficult business because those owners are going to go wherever they're most comfortable or whatever they believe in. Mm -hmm. So that's what I'm saying. If you're at a farm or at a business for long enough, and all those people, that whole entire team believes in you, you know, you prove yourself, you you worked your butt off, they all believe in you then that's when an opportunity comes along somebody says oh hey i have a horse i need a good riding junior or a good riding professional it's maybe a little bit difficult and uh, i need some help and i can say or somebody else can say okay listen there's this kid man woman that is you know available to ride this horse and super good rider doesn't have much you know maybe doesn't have the financial uh, means to do so, but yeah. I think that they're going to do well on your horse. And then all of a sudden you have an opportunity. One turns into two next mm-hmm. thing, you know, you're, have, you know, you very own string of horses. And, and that's, that's sort of how I had to do it. You know, I started at a very young age, but I went to North run and I would jump sort of one equitation horse a day and flat nine horses. So I'd be riding 10 horses a day, but after a year, I proved myself. And then I started riding some jumpers. And then after two years, then that's sort of when it started to come to fruition for me, where I started riding and showing lots of other horses. And, um, sort of like now, like I said, the first year was really difficult as a professional. Now I'm coming into my second year and now I'm starting to get some newer horses. I've had more FEI starts this year than I have any other year. So, and we're, you know, we're only in just in September. Yeah. So that's sort of another point that I can make, which is it's nothing comes quickly. So you're better off enjoying the process than trying to rush things and have it collapse on you.
0: Yeah. That's, I mean, that's great advice, especially knowing how, you know, potentially you can be in this sport for decades and decades. So exactly. Yeah, we definitely yeah. have time. Exactly.
1: And you have to be, I mean, okay, it's definitely, it's very cool to do things when you're young. But if you look at the top, truly the top riders in the world, I was looking at this, I don't know what the exact statistic is, but I'm a very analytical person. I like to look at statistics and, and, you know, what horses jump clear, where, et cetera. Mm. That's just sort of how I break it down to maximize the results on, on my horses. Yeah. So for me if you look at you know the last they were saying yesterday that eight or nine riders of the world's top 10 are jumping at the Spruce Meadows Masters this week mm-hmm. which okay that's a dream of mine to jump at the masters it's it's in my country it's my that's that's a dream of mine and I'm really hoping that I can get there next year but this year nine out of the world's top 10 are jumping at the masters but I would reckon the average age I mean, is probably like 40 years old yeah. is my, is my guess. Out right. of the, and that might even be young. I mean, you have, there's, there's obviously there's Martin Fuchs who's quite young, but then you have Petter Fredrickson, you know, and, and Henrik von Eckerman. Mm-hmm. So many people want everything immediately. And sure. There's a couple of young riders up at the top. I mean, you've seen Harry Charles and Brian and Jack Whitaker mm-hmm. and myself, Tanner Karatkin, we're, sort of up there in the ranking but at the end of the day the best top 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 riders in the world are are older right they're they're in their 40s I mean even McLean he's got you know a couple of kids but he's he's got a couple of kids and he's I'm not sure how old he is so don't quote me but I I think he's in his 40s (laughs) yeah and he's riding better than better than ever and that's just that's just because you know the sport like you said the longevity is such an important thing and i think if you just take some time earlier in your career to really figure everything out you know it's it can really benefit you in the long run and uh, you see that with all the top riders like Connor Swale. i mean unbelievable riders unbelievable riders riding at the top highest level and they're all 20 years older than mm-hmm. you know than i am it's just, it's, and then I, I have to remember that when I get frustrated that maybe I didn't make it to that show right now, or I don't have the horse to jump that Grand Prix right now, that at the end of the day, time is still on our side.
0: Definitely. So. That, yeah. That's like a, such a great and important perspective to have. Um, what would you say is an area of the industry that you are especially passionate about that you feel like the rest of the horse world either just doesn't know a lot about or doesn't talk that much about?
1: I think that I am really quite passionate about young riders. You know, I think like really young riders jumping bigger sooner. Hmm. Uh, I always encourage anybody that has either a child in the sport or a student in the sport, or they they are a student of the sport is actually have two things, but this, this first one is Definitely important. I was, I think everybody thought sort of my dad was crazy because I was 12 <laughs> years old jumping my first Grand Prix. And that, you I know, hope you 12... have video
0: footage of that. I would yeah. love to see that. <laughs> I,
1: I, I don't know. I'd have to pull it out of the archives somewhere. But yeah, 12 or I was 13. I just turned 13 years old and I jumped my very first Grand Prix on a horse named Mandino Z. And he was an older horse. He was, I think, not older, but he was maybe fifth. He was experienced. He was 15. Mm-hmm the time. And we purchased him through Shane Breen. We'd already jumped pretty big. He jumped the Hickstead Grand Prix on him clear. And, you know, he'd done quite big shows. And, uh, you know, I, I, I jumped my first Grand Prix at 12 or 13 years old. But then you look around and you see kids that are 14, 15 years old still on ponies.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: At the end of the day, we really encourage kids to jump bigger while they're younger. I mean, even you, could, you can see it, our children's team this year went and won the gold medal for the second year in uh, Traverse City. And all of those kids came up through the jumper ranks, you know, they're 12 to 14 years old, and jumping around 120 to them is easy mm-hmm. because we've been trying for the past sort of five or eight years since I, because I, when I was doing it, I was the only one. I was the only one that was that young, sort of jumping meter 40 my first time. And now you see kids jumping meter 30 meter 35 between 12 and 14 years old and being pretty successful at it and I think that's so important because in order for us to build depth as a team we need to have kids jumping bigger at a younger age because then by the time they're let's say they jump their first Grand Prix at 15 or 16 even let's say that would be a great age 16 years old you jump your first Grand Prix By the time they're 20, they've already been jumping Grand Prix for four years. Yeah. So then by the time you're 19 and 20, you've been jumping Grand Prix for four years, you're ready to go and move into your first three-star Nations Cup. That's a meter 50, four-star Nations Cup, you know, and, and so on and so forth. Now, I understand that, you know, we talked about, we touched on earlier that finances obviously play a big role. And how far a lot of people get in the sport, for sure. But like I said, at the end of the day, if you really, if you stick to it and you have a serious dedication and determination in the sport, I think you can get a lot further than maybe you think you can. Mm -hmm. The number, I think confidence is so important too. Like you just have to be confident that you can do it. And, uh, you know, obviously you can't have a big ego because the horses will humble you. Yeah. But you can be super confident, and I think if you have that confidence mixed with a lot of dedication and determination, it's a recipe for success. And I think you can get a lot, really, really far and jump a lot bigger, a lot faster than than you would otherwise.
0: What was your second one?
1: My second point is is even if you only, let's say, you have one horse to ride, or you have you you, you aren't riding a ton. I think being a student of the sport and studying. Tons and tons of videos is so important. I know that even Spruce Meadows is on this week. I probably won't miss a class. I will watch. Obviously, I'm working every single day and I'm riding between five and seven or eight horses a day. So I'm quite busy. But even if I miss the class, I go back and I'll rewatch it. I think you can learn so much from watching the best riders in the world um, or even even Like, like sometimes, or not sometimes, I do this all the time. I'll, I'll pick my favorite rider. Let's say my favorite rider is Marcus Enning, right? I love the way Marcus Enning rides and he's unbelievable. He's, he's the master. So I'll go on clip my horse or YouTube or whatever, type in Marcus Enning and watch 40 videos from his recent shows. I watch videos for two hours and just, just truly watch every, I'll watch one round where I only look at his hands and then I'll watch another round where I only look at his legs. I'll watch another round where we're all only focusing on the upper body. Another round where we're focusing on, on where he's looking, how fast he's looking, when he's looking in on a line, when he's, how, how early is he turning his head to the next jump? Every single thing you can think of. How is he making the horse jump the vertical? How is he making the horse jump the combination? Anything you can think. And I I will do that for five, six riders. I'll be up all night long, watching videos, watching videos, watching videos. For example, the the biggest prime example that I can say also is this year. And I said this in the press conference after the class, I had the biggest win of my career so far, which was winning the Spruce Meadows Derby. And I was, I am currently the youngest one to ever win the Derby of Spruce Meadows. But I went back and I watched videos of that Derby and the course and all the natural obstacles and all the previous winners. And I watched probably seven or eight, mm, that's an exaggeration, probably five or six hours of derby videos. And just watching, you know, I watched the class from 2007, 2008, and then 1995, and then 2015. Like I watched all of those derby classes and ended up using, just even, even if it's sort of second nature at that point, you know, using what I had learned from watching and applying it to when I jumped the jumps in the ring, because there's not, I can promise you there's almost nowhere that has a devil's dyke, such as Spruce Meadows. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the bank is famous there and the tabletop and the rounded off walls. And there's so many things and the double liverpools. like there's so many things that you Otherwise, wouldn't really practice that. You watch and watch and watch and watch, and you see how other riders are riding it successfully, and what riders are doing to ride it unsuccessfully, and you just try and apply that to your to your riding. So, I know that if I'm, for example, like the CP or, or the the Grand Prix of Aachen, like I never miss the Grand Prix of Aachen. I watch both rounds start to finish, every single year. And that's a dream of mine. I'd love to jump that Grand Prix one day. So the more you watch it and the more you get familiar with it, then the less foreign it'll feel when you get there. That's just my theory.
0: I seriously love that answer. I don't think anyone has said video as their answer to that question before, but I think it's such a big part, kind of like what you were saying on one hand, um, maybe for a rider who loves it, maybe doesn't feel like they get, enough rides or enough practice in, but it's a great, I mean, I think watching is such a big part and such like an underrated part of practice. And then obviously the other end of the spectrum with kind of like your level of riding and how you can prepare to ride better ride at, you know, maybe different venues. And I just think that that's such a great part and something that needs more emphasis in practice.
1: Yeah, for sure. I, I mean, I think that that it's, it's so important and, uh, you know, I, I don't think you can ever be too prepared for, for a show or, or for, and also, you know, there's, there's, I've always been told my whole life, no nobody's arrived. So nobody's too good to go and watch, watch videos. If you look at every other sport, I mean, football, basketball, baseball, they all do a post, you know, a post game review of their own videos and of how their other team has played you know, so so I think that's sometimes missed in our sport. We go back home. We watch our video from the day. Oh, great. You jumped super off. I had a little mistake here, whatever, but watch the whole class, watch where the mistakes were coming for everybody and how you can fix it for next time.
0: Absolutely. Well, Sam, thank you so much for taking the time and chatting with me. Um, Your career has been so fun to watch and I wish you all the best for the rest of the season.
1: Oh, Thank you so much. It was such a pleasure to be on here and uh, I had a great time.